February 10th, 2023. We're in Masechet Besa and Daf He Amud Aleph, and we're going to begin again 12 lines down. The first word, of, first words on the line are Virav Yosef. But first, just a brief uh, rewind to something we talked about yesterday. At the top of the Amud, here on Daf He Amud Aleph, if you recall, the Gemara was citing from a Mishnah in Masechet Rosh Hashanah, and the Mishnah over there, which was, was and is very critical to our conversation, was about the Takana, Bismanch Bet Mikdash Kayam, that um, if the witnesses on Rosh Hashanah arrived after the time of Minha, we wouldn't accept them with regards to establishing Rosh Chodesh and in turn Rosh Hashanah. And the reason that was provided in that Mishnah was because one time it happened, Vinit Kalkelu Halevim Bashir, if you recall. Uh, whereas in the morning on Rosh Hashanah, the Shir Shel Yom that the uh, Levim would sing at the time of the sacrifice was the standard one because oftentimes the witnesses would come later on or wouldn't and as a result you weren't certain about Rosh Hashanah. So you would never have a Rosh Hashanah Shir at that time. But by Minha, you want to be singing the proper Shir Shel Yom, which would be that of Rosh Hashanah. What happened was they came after Minha, and it turned out that it was the wrong song, which was sung by the Levim. Jared pointed out, he questioned, there's a halakha, the Gemara in Masechet Yoma, Tosafot on the left-hand side, cites it, on the Flamid Gimal, has the following halakha, it's derived from the Pasuk, which means to say that with the korban tamid shel ben ha'arbaim, it was supposed to be hashlama. It was supposed to be no more sacrifices in the mikdash. As a result, he asked, and Tosafot asked, what about the korban musaf? Understand again what happened. It was that day, Rosh Hashanah, long ago. Witnesses arrived after the Tamit Shel Ben Ha'abaim Hejo, come after the Tamit Shel Ben Ha'abaim, and effectively now are stating this is Rosh Hashanah. We don't have that much time, but we have enough time to deal with a Korban Musaf. However, you're not supposed to be sacrificing that Korban Musaf after Tamit Shel Ben Ha'abaim. After the time of the sacrifice of that communal second sacrifice of the nation on Rosh Hashanah or on any other day, you're not supposed to have any sacrifices afterwards. So, yes, it's significant the fact that they look back and say, oh my goodness, we sang the wrong Shir Shel Yom. But moreover, you're not going to be able to bring the sacrifice which you need to bring on Rosh Hashanah called the Korban Musaf. That was his question. That is Tosafot's question. Tosafot suggests two different answers. First answer was to a certain extent what I answered out loud to Jared yesterday, and that is in a pressing situation, this concept, this mitzvah, is ideal. This is your last sacrifice. Don't bring anything after it. But you're in a pressing circumstance. It's not as if in this situation there's not leeway from the Torah. You already brought, quote, the last korban, but you need to bring another one. You bring another one. It's not that I would do this lechatechila, but to the extent that I missed out, I did it. Alternatively, Tosafot suggests that concept of alea hashlem is going to be nidheh. It'll be pushed away because of the importance of the the korban musaf, which is a matter for the entire congregation, as opposed to just a procedure matter in the mikdash. Well, either one of those two answers of Tosafot, it addresses the question which was asked at the end of the class yesterday, why is it that the only fear, the only issue was nitkalkelu alevim bashir, why not the hakravat korban musaf of Rosh Hashanah? One of those two answers in Tosafot. But now, picking up what we're up to in the what we're up to in the Gemara, the Gemara now is dealing with after the destruction Yes, yes. They have an idea that the holidays today, tomorrow, they're in the same ballpark. Why don't they just give a court 
Altanai of some sort. Yeah, all right. I suppose uh, you know it would it would have a tremendous expense, you know, uh, at the at the cost of the people. You want to say you, you would sacrifice on both days with some sort of condition? All right, a, a third vantage point for an answer. I'm not certain. I'm not, I'm not certain why Tosafot doesn't have such an angle uh, as you mention it. What's that? Well, that's why I said financial expense and so forth. All right, but you know you would solve this sort of issue. Well, I mean, uh, effectively, whatever we're now determining is now going to be Kippur. Is it going to affect it in any way beyond just what they were going to uh, commemorate it? No, it's not as if we're preparing for it in some sort of respect that that day shift will really affect it. So instead of on this day, it'll be on the next day. I don't, I don't think it would be anything per se, um, aside from you know people not knowing about it, but they don't know about it anyway. I mean, outside of uh, the areas where people are finding out about it. Anyway, that being the case, so the Gemara now says, but after the destruction of Mikdash, this is really what we were dealing with, uh, so there's no longer Mikdash, and now, said the Gemara, Rabban Yohanan ben Zakai established that we accept the witnesses even after Minha, which means throughout the day we'll accept witnesses with regards to the establishment of Rosh Chodesh on Rosh Hashanah, which day it is, either today or tomorrow. It no longer, our assumption was, should be envisioned as one large, long period of 48 hours, but rather as two kiddushot. If you're, if you're observing two days of Rosh Hashanah, it's because you're uncertain what was the day on which the witnesses came. In the Mikdash, in the places close to the Mikdash, where they accepted the witnesses, close to the Beitin, you would very clearly and sufficiently keep one day, was the suggestion of the Gemara. And at the very least, it should be considered uh, Kedusha Ashete Kedushot circumstance. And Beitashinoda Bezo should be Muteret Bezo. However, and this was the critical point that we were up to, Rav Yosef stated that even after that Takana of Rabban Yohanan ben Zakai, even after we're accepting the witnesses throughout the day, effectively saying we know exactly when, quote, the one day of Rosh Hashanah is. It's today, and tomorrow is just a sefekadi of some sort. His statement was, it even today, both in Israel and outside of Israel, considered kiddushah ahat. Why would you suggest so? How could you make that claim? It's illogical. It defies any explanation, Rav Yosef. Your claim is that if the Besah was born on day one of Rosh Hashanah, it's prohibited on day two of Rosh Hashanah. Why should that be? Aren't we to understand that we know exactly when Rosh Hashanah is? Even if I'm observing two, it's because of some sort of safik, which means one of the days is actually whole. The answer of Rav Yosef, which we began with yesterday, was as follows. Once, at certain junctures in time, the rabbis, the establishment of leadership, comes together and establish a matter as what's called davar shibaminyan. They, they uh, vote on this matter. They collect themselves one to, after the other, and they determine by voting, this is what we want, davar shibaminyan. That has a strength that almost pushes aside anything else. Even if the reason is no longer relevant, the establishment is in place. And therefore, since once long Long ago, there was an establishment that Rosh Hashanah is to be considered those two days, Kiddushah Ahat, it won't be annulled. But the reasoning is no longer applicable. Doesn't matter. The only way you'll do away with it again is with a minyan aher. You need a whole other establishment to come along and officially annul the earlier ones. As a result, that's the suggestion of Rabbi Yosef. 
Again, it, it lends a lot, of, uh, a lot of credence to many of the things we do. It brings us back to that conversation, as I mentioned, with regards to two days Yom Tov in general. If you recall, we read from Rav Haigaon that the two days Yom Tov in general is not to be annulled, even though we're fully aware of which one of those two days is, quote, the actual Yom Tov, because Rav Haigaon said it was a Davar Sheba Minyan. You need a Minyan Aher, you need an establishment which comes together and votes on this matter in order to annul it. But that's the statement of Rav Yosef. Now that's quite the concept, and it gives a lot of strength and validity to these sorts of Takanot. It's a Takana which has the strength to the extent that you're not doing away with this. We don't always imagine things that way. We say, the reason he, they, uh, you established this was because of. That reason doesn't apply over here. We're going to say, uh, Shalom al Yisrael to the establishment. Davash Baminyan goes against that. It says there's a strength to this takana which supersedes and overrides all else. Where'd you come up with such a kind? You need some proof for that. I know we want to give our establishment a certain strength. How do I know that this concept of is applicable? That there is such a reality that when the rabbis came together, voted on an issue, and established it in certain circumstances, when it had that validity, that strength of the only way you're going to do away with it is with a minyan aher. I have several proofs. The first two will be very mysterious. He'll have to explain them in a few moments for us. The last of them will be the clearest in our initial ongoings. Dichtiv, first and foremost, the pasuk, lech emor lahem, shuvu lachem lachem. After Ma'amad Har Sinai, God tells Moshe, tell the men to go back to their tents and to resume marital relations. What does that have to do with Davar Sheba Minyan? Ve'omer, and furthermore, bimshoch ha'yovel hemma ya'alu bahar. The Pasuk says with regards to Har Sinai as well. Um, when the uh, trumpet sounds, and we'll have to define that, Rashi on Amud Bet says it either means as it has a long sound, Rashi says similar to, I guess, the Ashkenazi, Tiki Agedola, when it has a long sound, that's how you'll know that you can then rise onto the mountain, onto Har Sinai. Alternatively, Rashi says, it'll be when the, when the, mount, when the trumpet stops, when the shofar stops. Mshoch Hayovel means when it stops, the word Meshoch means either to stretch out or means to pull back. So either way you explain it, it means something having to do with going on to Har Sinai, which had a sanctity you weren't allowed to go on to, but when you hear the shofar, when the shofar stops, you're allowed... What does that have to do with Davar Sheba Minyan? Okay, and lastly, Utnan. This one will be the easiest with regards to our understanding of how Rav Yosef is able to exemplify, to show us this concept of Davar Sheba Minyan. We introduced this last one yesterday. It goes like this. There's a concept known as Kerem Revai. As Rashi points out, Neta Revai, the Gemara elsewhere in Masechet Berachot, as a Mahloket, uh, we always applying Kerem or even Neta Revai. Okay, let's talk about Kerem Revai. It's going to be the words in our Gemara. Goes as follows, if you plant a vineyard, the first three years of growth in that vineyard, you're not allowed to benefit from the fruit, from the grapes. Why not? It's called orla, milashon arel, the same way a person before they're circumcised is considered an arel. So too those fruits are considered uncircumcised fruits, not allowed to a benefit from those fruits. On the fourth year, it's a derashah of the rabbis elsewhere, they learn from the halachot of ma'asir sheni, you need to take those grapes, 
bring them up to Yerushalayim, or fruits, if it was a fruit tree, and enjoy them there. If you don't want to bring the fruits, uh, we understand from Maaseh Sheni as well, you could do Pidyon, you could uh, redeem the value of those grapes, of those fruits, and bring that to Yerushalayim, and with, at which point you'll buy fruits and vegetables and food and enjoy that there as well. So that's... Uh, uh, no. You just leave it. Just leave it. Just leave it. Yeah. Fourth year, you can enjoy it, but specific restrictions on that enjoyment. Okay, that being the case, that's the history with regards to the mitzvah from the Torah. Now let's read what we have over here. Kerem Revai, a Mishnah teaches us, There was at a particular and specific point in time, the rabbis said, and we'll read the reason in a moment, we want that if you're within a certain boundary, we call that a mahalach yom, a one-day walk of Jerusalem, you can't redeem the value of your grapes and fruits and bring that to, you have to bring the actual grapes and fruits to Jerusalem. That was the halacha. Uh, why would that be so? The Gemara will tell us, the Mishnah will tell us, the, uh, the vision and the hope of the, of the rabbis of that time period was, we don't want inflation, we don't want high prices of fruits in Jerusalem. As a result, if everyone's bringing their own fruits in and eating them, all the marketplaces are not selling as well, they have to bring down the prices on their fruits, it's now going to be a marketplace which is easier to buy fruits, and we want that to be going on in Jerusalem. As a result, again, the Takana, the established of the rabbis, and we're going to understand in a moment the Vashabemunyan establishment, establishment which has full strength. We are certain that we need, if you're within a one day walk of Jerusalem, you must bring those fruits into Jerusalem. What are the boundaries? How do I know what a one day walk is? Zohi Tehumah says the Mishnah. This is the Tehum, these are the boundaries. Elat min ha darom, ve akravat min ha safon, lod min ha ma'arav, ve arden min ha mizrah, all sorts of places and directions with regards to these are the boundaries. So if you're within any of those four sides, you must be bringing your fruits to Jerusalem. Ve amar ula, ve itemar ababa bahanam, arbi yohanam, mata'am. What was the reason for this establishment, again, of the rabbis that you can't redeem, you can't do a pidyon if you're in those places? Kedela ater shikei yushalayim baperot. That's the words I was mentioning to you earlier. Atara means a crown. We wanted to give the Jerusalem this crown of fruits. We wanted everyone eating fruits in Jerusalem. Okay, pause for a second. Reflect and think about this. This, of course, is going to be applicable during a time during which uh, in Jerusalem, this is uh, where people are inhabited. We have the Mikdash over there. And as a result, we're bringing our fruits into Jerusalem and dealing with it in such a fashion. What about after the destruction of the Mikdash? We'd imagine, I'd imagine, that this Takana falls away. If the whole purpose of this Takana is related to the Mikdash and the settlement of Jerusalem, afterwards, this should no longer be applicable. And yet, continues the Gemara, Vetanya, we have a Beraita which teaches that after the destruction of the Mikdash, Hayalo Lerbili Ezer be Mizrah Lod, Betzad Kevar Tabe, Ubikesh Lahavkirola Anim. The rabbi, Rabbi Ezer, an adherent, as we talked about earlier in our Masechet of Bet Shammai, which might be somewhat relevant to the halakha that he mentions here, he had Kerem Revai. He was within the border, within the boundary, rather, of when the Mikdash was around, let's say it in those words. You had to bring your fruits into Jerusalem and eat them there. You couldn't do a pidyon. However, he's living after the destruction of the Mikdash. He's living during a time where the applicability of that takana should not apply. 
what was his interest nonetheless? He wanted to take his fruits and to make them hefker, to allow for poor people to come and redeem them and enjoy them. That was his uh, suggested, uh, that was his proposal over here. What would the uh, poor people, ultimately speaking, do? They'd have to do one of two things. They'd either, as Rashi suggests, take those fruits and have to go into Jerusalem. Uh, why would they have to go into Jerusalem? Because the understanding is that the Kiddushari Shona, the initial establishment of sanctity in Israel, in Yerushalayim, is level. It's eternal, it's, it, it, it continues. It means there's still a sanctity to Jerusalem, and as a result, even if he's making the that the poor people are taking possession. Post He's Horban. post even post Horban. So that's the Gemara and Megillah Dafyot. What's that? So that's the question. According to Rashi, there's a full requirement at this time of Kerem Revai, and as a result, it needed to be still brought to Jerusalem. How are you solving anything by giving it to poor people? I'm an old man, says Abili I can't bring it up to there, but they will. They'll bring it there and they'll enjoy it there. What's that? It's on the fruits themselves. What is? You send a message. Right? Well, the obligation is on the obligation is on you if the fruits are yours. But if the fruits aren't yours, obviously the obligation's not on you. He was mafkirat la'aniim, so it's no longer his. Do you understand? That's how he got around it. His vision, his his uh, hope was says Rashi They'll pick it off the trees. They'll pick it off the vines. It was a burden for him to bring the fruits there himself. Although that was the uh, that was the, that is the understanding of Rashi here in our Gemara. Tosafot has a bit of a, a, a different approach to this matter. They're not as certain that our Gemara is working with this concept of Kiddushari Shona that the sanctity remains. As a result, it would be far from a simple situation. What you need to do then is to redeem the fruits. Either way, you slice it. But the, the hope of Rabili Ezer was that the poor people will be able to make a profit off of this. They'll redeem it on just a small amount of money and then be able to enjoy those fruits. But the primary point for our purposes is the following, that Rabili Ezer living post-destruction, living after a time, the settlement of Jerusalem is lost, nonetheless is realizing and understanding he needs to bring his fruits to Jerusalem. Why does he need to bring his fruits to Jerusalem if not for the fact that that takana was in its place? But, says the Gemara, Amrulo Talmidav, the students of Rabbi Ezer, turned to him and expressed, Rabbi, our rabbi, Rabbi Ezer, this is not necessary any longer. Your friends, the Gemara will tell us, Rabban Yohanan ben Zakkai, they already had a voting process where they came together with numbers of important rabbis and leaders and did away with that original takana. Pause for a second and understand. It wasn't just that this takana was annulled, no longer applicable, no longer in place. It was. You needed nimnu vigamru. The concept says Rav Yosef is such that if there's a davar minyan, if there was an establishment based on numbers, based on the force of a vote, 
The only way you're going to do away with that is a minyan achir lahatiro. So if you're going to have, as there was apparently then, a minyan achir, so Ezer for some reason or another was unfamiliar with the fact that that happened. Says Rav Yosef, reflecting on that, he says, you see what I learned from that history? You see what that story taught me? That story taught me that when there's a davar shiba minyan, when there's an establishment of the rabbis, of the leaders at any given period, which is davar shiba minyan, with the voting in place, with counting the amount of people who are in favor of this, that has a strength which will only be done away with a minyan acher. Rav Yosef therefore says, if initially, when the Beit HaMikdash was still standing, there was a minyan, there was an establishment from Rabban Yohanan ben Zakkai and the leaders of his time period, that Rosh Hashanah is to be envisioned and understood as Kedusha Ahat, as one sanctity, a 48-hour period, and therefore if a Beit was born on the first day, it's forbidden on the second one, I don't care if the reason no longer applies. It's not relevant to me that we'll accept the witnesses throughout the day any longer. The point nonetheless stands that we envision this and we follow this as Kedushah Ahat. That's the claim of Rav Yosef. And he proved it again from this Mishnah. Keep in mind, he's quoted some other Pesukim to this effect. We'll have to figure out what he meant with those. But that's the context here in our Gemara. Because, because there was an initial takana, but then there was a minyan achel hatiro. But in our case, Rav Yosef is claiming you never had a minyan achel. That's the claim. Which part? Davar shiba minyan? Oh, to three years. Okay, so first of all, in Chutz La'aretz, it's generally speaking not going to be uh, not going to be an issue. It is an issue with Rabbanan in Chutz La'aretz. We assume um, in 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 Israel certainly. Certainly, Orla is, is, is certainly in place until today. Again, outside of Israel, it's a mahluk in terms of the strength of it, but, but applies nonetheless. So we want a marketplace of fruits when we live and we are in control of this room. Uh, yes. yes. We don't care about yes. people in Yes, oh, what's the difference? In other words, the whole purpose of it was for our Shukai Yerushalayim, for not living there. It should have fallen away. Nonetheless, you needed Kfar Nimnu. That's right. So as the Gemara Man Haverecha, who were those friends that uh, the students of Rabbi Yehazar were referring to when they said Nimnu Haverecha, Rabban Yohanan ben Zakkai. Says the Gemara now, or says Rav Yosef in concluding his initial proof, or our explanation of it, Ta'ama, the reason over there by Rabbi Yehazar that it became permitted to redeem the fruits outside of Jerusalem within the one day walking was Dinimnu, because they came together and they annulled. Ha lo nimnu, had they not done so, lo. Okay, so it would not have been applicable. Means we have a concept of Davar Shibba Minyan. Are fantastic at this point. Now that could have been sufficient, but Rabbi, uh, Rav Yosef was keen on not only quoting from a Mishnah, but quoting Pesukim as well. Can't get better than quoting Pesukim with regards to deriving a law or a concept. Ma'ive Omer. What did it mean that there were other Pesukim? Hacheka Amar. It went as follows. Let's deal with these Pesukim. Michdeketib. On the one hand, the Pasuk says, Heyu Nechonim Lishloshet Yamim Atigeshu El Ha'isha El Isha. The Pasuk in this week's parasha says that God tells Moshe to tell the people, uh, make certain that you're Nechonim Lishloshet Yamim. 
that you're prepared for, and we'll define those words in a second, three days. What's that preparation? There's no relations with wives. There's no marital relations. We want everyone to be pure and to be clean in preparation and for that moment of Har Sinai. What do the words mean? There's a mahlok at how to define those words. Either it means you should prepare for three days and abstain from marital relations for three days. That's how Rashi interprets those words. In Masechet Sanhedrin, if you recall. Alternatively, Tosafot on the first hand side, first side of this, what's that? Is in three, you should prepare now because in three days God will appear. Which means sad. And give you a time period in which you're going to prepare. You're going to prepare for have in three days. God's going to prepare because otherwise, Tzavot says it should have said heyu nechonim sheloshet yamim. What's lishloshet yamim? It's for what's going to happen in three days. What's the difference? We'll talk about in a moment. It's going to be somewhat significant the difference. But okay. So the first hand, on the one hand, the pasuk says that Moshe is instructed to tell the people no marital relations in preparation, and then lechemor lahem shuvu lachem leaholechem lamali. Why is it that after the reception of the Torah, Moshe is instructed as he remembers in Sefer Devarim Parashat Hanan, go and tell the people, return to your tents, return and resume uh, with your marital relations. Uh, why was that necessary? You had a pasuk which told us quite clearly there's a three, either in Rashi's words, a three-day preparation, or in Tosafot's words, a preparation for what's going to occur on the three de- third day. Now, either way you go, the Hidush in Rashi is, even though you told me an actual amount of time, you're nonetheless going to need an explicit command against it. According to Tosafot, you told me a timeless command, and you're going to need, nonetheless, by logic, you would say, once I got the Torah, it's over. The statement is, nonetheless, God needed to annul it. Let me piece this together for you. I walk into the room and I say, all right, I need everyone's uh, attention throughout this class. Please, make certain that you're not involved with anything else. Turn off your, ring, your, your ringers uh, over the course of the class. And we finish the class, I say, okay, gentlemen, now you can turn back on your ringers and your attention doesn't, well, the class is over. What do you need to tell me that for? I was quite certain. Says the Gemara, Lamali, why do you need that? Shema'at mina, clearly, the strength of, quote, the Beti, of God, and obviously we don't not deal with human beings over here. This is God's words. Is called If it's God's words, and of course we're equating that to the establishment which came together. You need another explicit statement to even do away with it. The Hidush, according to Rashi, is even though God said three days, forget about the reasoning, and I even told you a time period. Nonetheless, you need a minyana because you're comparing God to. You know, I always thought you respected me a little bit more. You know, that's how. <laughs> <laughs> this, this situation and this, this whatever actually is saying it's God versus Betty. Yeah, that's what Jack, right, so Jared's just pointing out. It's uh, like the concept at the very least. Yes. Jesse will tell you. Right. Jesse's responding based on the Pesukim we'll have in two weeks and time where Elohim is the word oftentimes used for Betin. The understanding is because Elohim nitzav ba'adateil, the presence of God to a large extent is there in Betin. They have a certain strength with regards to affecting God's will of la'asot tzedakah mishpat. It is, it is, it is. Why are you assuming that Hashem needed 
He told them one of two things. Either he told them, make certain for three days. Which he did. But I told you three days. That restriction was there. You're, you're, you're appealing to the nerves of the people. And I was, Jeffrey says, maybe Peshat, not like this, is, listen, the people at that point may have been uh, shell-shocked. They were scared. Oh my goodness, I just heard the word of God. How am I going to resume? And he's more speaking to them. You're right. Uh, we're speaking in the legal sense as opposed to the emotional sense. Probably, if you weren't, you know, if we weren't looking from a legal, with a legal law here in the Gemara, we would have interpreted it as such in the Torah. Just the way people talk. The Torah speaks. Oh, interesting. Is that your response to Jared? Okay, so I, I think what Nathan's saying to you, Jared, is he's saying, listen, the Torah, I, I'm going I'm I'm to make it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah in, in, in appealing to the concept of it's effectively teaching us instructions with regards to our own, our own approaches to matters as well. That's clear. I mean, the Gemara elsewhere makes this point because the pasuk says ve'ata po amodi madi. Every tell everyone else to go back, but you, Moshe, you're still with me. The understanding in turn is Moshe didn't resume marital relations. What's that? What are we gonna do with the? Uh, I'll give it a second. Vechitema says the Gemara vechitema. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Too much conversation, huh? The, the critique is not enough conversation. Happy now. Vechitema lemitzvat onahu de'ata. Uh, perhaps the only reason over there, um, uh, God, and it's along the lines of Jeffrey, a little bit different, uh, perhaps you'll respond that the only reason God uh, opened his, his proverbial mouth again and instructed shuvu lachem la'aholechem is because over there, the resumption is the resumption of a mitzvah. They went back to onatalo uh, yigara. They went back to a marital responsibility of husband to wife. And as a result, he's encouraging them. He's telling them, I didn't need to tell you this legally. You would have, but I'm telling you now, go back. Maybe I'll even splice that now with the emotional side of Jeffrey. In other words, he's saying, maybe you're not going to do it. God's just encouraging them. Maybe that wouldn't apply in other circumstances where the stakes are lower, so to speak. For example, stepping onto a mountain. Uh, no mitzvah to step onto a mountain. And nonetheless, we're going to have an explicit mention of God through Moshe. Up. Now you can go onto that mountain. Uh, you can't make the claim over there that there was an emotional uh, uh, you know, uh, vision that I'm not going to... Uh, that, 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 uh, that God says, I need you to resume this, and nonetheless, but you would nonetheless, your approach would nonetheless stand, but, uh, yeah, but nonetheless, the Torah has Tashema, uh, on the one hand, and well, I know Mars Katten's going to give a hard time in terms of these Pesukim in just a moment, but on the one hand, the Pasuk says, Pasuk says that when Har Sinai is in its sanctified Kedusha state, you have to keep everything away from it. No son, no bakar, no people, nothing can climb onto that mountain. On the other hand, the Pasuk tells us, And when you hear the sounding of the trumpet, either stopping or going, as we mentioned earlier, that's when you can go onto the mountain. Uh, well, why were both necessary? Once you told me the understanding is that nobody can go onto the mountain because this mountain is in a state, the state of the mountain is, says Rashi, it's in its state of saying, 
sanctity in this moment, you'll understand that when the sanctity ends, when this experience of Ma'amad Har Sinai is over, well, then you could go on to the mountain. I say to you, uh, again, uh, during the time of tefillah, please make certain that you're not talking divrei hol. I don't want you to do that in general, but that's what I want you when you, during the time of tefillah. I don't need to tell you that tefillah is over, you can now have divrei hol. Of course you can. So why was it necessary to have such a mention? The difficulty Katten's going to point out is that pasuk of it's in Parashat Kitisa, it's for the second Luchot. Uh, and as a second tablets, and the second time we did this, and as a result, it's difficult to match these up. Rashi and Tosafot debate the specifics on that man. Now he was, as I, this morning, actually yesterday, I was, no, but I'm, I'm telling you I, saw you, I saw you in my mind attacking me as I was reading those words. Anyway, so anyway, it says the Gemara. So, but, but nonetheless, for one reason or another, Gemara is, is, is matching these up. It's Rashi and Tosaf. Shema'at mina, I can derive from this at, at the very least. Davar sheba minyan sarich minyan aher lahatiro. So again, let's piece this together. Uh, Rav Yosef has three suggested proofs, each one leading into the next, with regards to this concept of davar sheba minyan. Number one, with regards to marital relations before Har Sinai. For the next several days, no marital relations because the understanding is God's going to speak to you at, on the mount, from the mountain. At the conclusion of it, go back to it. Why do you need to tell them go back to it if not for the fact that you couldn't derive that on your own? You wouldn't annul this independent of specific minyana, so to speak, being matir. Or maybe over there it's God's encouragement. Go resume marital relations. Yes, because it's a mitzvah. It wouldn't apply then other circumstances where it's not mitzvah to ona, tashima. That's why you have the next pasuk. On the one hand, the pasuk says that ha-har ha-hu, that mountain, when the mountain's in its state of sanctity, nothing should be touching the mountain. Nobody should be climbing or rising onto that mountain. All right, we understand that when those moments of sanctity are over, whatever the extended period of time will be, now we could go use that mountain again. Would you have thought any differently? Do you think that outside of prayer time, uh, Everything that's during prayer time is forbidden? Of course not. Why does the Pasuk then need to tell us that when the shofar either continues or stops continuing, that's when you can go on. Clearly, but wait a second, says the Gemara now in explaining Rav Yosef. Maybe those are only mitzvot from the Torah. Put in other words, in Jared's words, maybe that's only when God's speaking. Maybe when rabbis speak, when it's a dinder banan, it doesn't have the same strength. Maybe that's specifically on biblical commands, on God's words and commands to the people. In those circumstances, it's going to have the strength, the potency to continue onward, unless you have an explicit word against it. And the rabbis, not as significant. They're important. We need to listen to their words. We need to abide by their restrictions. But we use our own logic in them. Maybe it wouldn't apply beyond the time of the restriction that we would continue to abide by it unless there's a minyana hatashema. That's what we learn from the story of Rabili Ezer. Kerem revai, veha kerem revai, derabanan, veka amre lek, varnimnu alecha haverecha, vehetiruhu. In that circumstance, that restriction of kerem revai, not the concept of kerem revai. 
the restriction, meaning that you can't redeem it, was only midrabbanan, and nonetheless, the only reason Bilyazer in that state and time was able to redeem it was because there was another minyana hilahatiro. Uh, that's what the Gemara then suggests for us until this point. Yes, Jesse. Again, Jesse, once you have the Mishnah, you don't need any of them, right? So, no, so that's, uh, he's leading up to it. He says, I have one Pasuk, maybe you'll disprove it. I have another Pasuk, maybe you'll disprove it. I have a Mishnah. Now, what's the eff- eff- what, what was the effect of those first two? Now that I have the Mishnah, I'll turn backwards and say, that may have been what was going on over there as well. Not that I needed to learn the law from there, but may, that may have been the interpretation. You might have a different interpretation as, as was suggested, you know, by, both by Jeffrey and the Gemara. Yeah. I have two answers. Number one, who said that it was a davar sheba minyan? Uh, maybe it was Esther's, Esther's decree, together with Mordechai. Uh, I, 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 that's, that's my first suggestion. Alternatively, maybe there was, and that detail wasn't necessary to mention in Megillah Tessar, but you are right in your reading of it and understanding of appreciation, that's the type of circumstance we're talking about when there is a major decree, not a circumstantial for this community or that. When we have a major decree, that is the vision of how these things f- should work. That's, that's my second answer. My third answer is that Tosafot already, um, already answered your question. When there is a time limit on it for Tosafot, you don't need a minyan acher. The only reason you had it over there specifically was because um, uh, the only reason for Tosafot over there was because it was eternal. You should abstain from marital relations because on the third day, who said abstain? It's only in Rashi's reading that your issue, you know, sumu shelosh yamim would potentially pose such an issue. Yes, ma'am. When did which part stop? It's a wonderful question. It's a wonderful question. Nathan says that we already pointed out that, you know, according to the, the, the Harambam's opinion, this minyan achay needs to be gadol bechokmah ubeminyan. So he says, uh, we saw over here that Rabili Ezer, his students said they already annulled it. I was pointing out that you can't really do this any longer because we turn backwards and we say, we're not greater bechokmah ubeminyan. How were they able, I mean, more than anything, you're asking how were they able to, because I was saying effectively you can never really annul it. It was probably, and that's why, same generation, I think that's why, and this is suggested, I don't remember by who, that's why the Gemara says, who were Haverecha? It was Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai. He was the rabbi who lived during the time of the Mikdash and right after the Mikdash. If he was the one right at that time period, he was able to do it. Afterwards, you really lost your opportunity.